The Caps break a 20-year curse. And what's going on in the Redskins front office? Welcome to the DMV Sports Roundtable with Jamal and Chris and eventually George. I'm Dimitri. For the first time in 20 years, as we say, the Caps are in the Eastern Conference Final. They take on the Tampa Bay Lightning starting Friday night. Ben Raby does the pre- and post-game shows for the Caps on the radio. We'll hear a little bit from him. But first, guys, just the excitement in the city. I mean, I, I'm not saying we need to throw a parade, but this is a big damn deal. I mean, it's 20 years. Yeah. 20, 20 years is a long time for anything. And no, we haven't won anything. They still have a long way to go against the Tampa Bay Lightning team who have played in the Stanley Cup Finals before. We have, haven't even sniffed it. This is the furthest, furthest we've gotten since 1998. So I do understand people's excitement. For me, it's a sense of relief. And I think that's that's probably the way Ovi and, and, and Backstrom and some of the, the veteran players and people that have been around in the organization feel like, finally. You know, that's not a monkey off you. That's a that's a full grown gorilla <laughs> on your back after twenty years. So I think for those players who have been here, the young the younger dudes don't give a damn. And that's probably why they won that series, because you had younger guys step in and that, you know, monkey hanging, I mean that cloud hanging over their head from past losses didn't really affect them like it affects some of the older players mentally, whether they consciously or subconsciously do it. You know, those guys are unaffected by that, and that showed in Game 6. I think now Ovi and those guys can play. I think they might play more freely, and you might see, you know, how they play during the regular season, you know, as opposed to being bogged down in the postseason. But I think it's more of a sense of relief for fans. You know, it's a sense of elation with the relief, but, you know, they're happy, but there's no ticket tape parade for making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Are you allowed to be a, a sportscaster in Washington, D.C. and root for the other team? Because <laughs> uh, I, I have taken to the Tampa Bay Lightning over the past few years. Really? Uh, yeah, I I love the Tampa area. That's pretty much where I'd move to if uh, you told me one city in America that you could go, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it's true. So I've taken to them, and so I've watched them quite a bit over the past couple of years. Been to the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the last four uh, I think they are exponentially better than Pittsburgh. And I have a hard time believing the Caps win any more than two games here. Wow. Now, you know, laws of just who knows what can happen. This Caps team is a bit of a story now that you finally get over the hump beating Pittsburgh. But that being said, uh, Tampa Bay's depth is just they added some pieces from the New York Rangers. Callahan, McDonough, they have the young players like Kucherov, who is one of the leading scorers, if not the leading scorer in the NHL. They have the best goaltender, in my opinion, that is in hockey, Vasilevsky. You're going to hope to get a lot of those breakaway scenarios like the Caps won, got the other day when they beat the Penguins. Other than that, he's a tough guy, and you got to screen. That's one thing, too. Getting Tom Wilson back is great for the sort of bravado and the, you know, ability to have a guy out there that's going to intimidate the other opponent because he'll knock you out but he gets in front of the net and that's what you need to do in Ovechkin shooting because you need to redirect these shots or else if Vasilevsky has a good look at it he's going to stop it and that's just the way it is Brayton Holtby has played incredibly too but I just I think Tampa did everything right for this to be their year to go all the way but I think hockey's the luckiest sport out of the major four I NBA, the best that. teams are going all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Major League Baseball, I think you could pretty much argue every single year you look at the teams, the best teams are going all the way. Hockey, you get a couple of bounces, and the eighth seed, Nashville, made it all the way to Stanley Cup Finals last year. When's the last time you've seen the NBA in eighth yeah. seed make it? The New York Knicks against the Spurs? 
Um, NFL is a little bit can be lucky too, but I think hockey's the most. So, despite everything I said, I think the Cats still do have a chance. I just I don't love. All right. I don't know what the deal with Backstrom is. Uh, you know, hockey did never clear about what any injuries are. About. Right. So I don't know what his status is uh, for tomorrow night whatsoever. But, you know, they did win without him, and I thought that we were doomed for another Game 7 at home Yeah. Uh, when they announced that he wasn't going to be able to play. But they pulled it through without him. So I, I don't know. You know, and don't uh, Tampa Bay still have Stamkos? How did I uh, forget talking yeah, about Stamkos when I'm talking player? about Kucherov and all their <laughs> veterans? But Stamkos did say after they beat Boston, which stuck with me, is that they probably would have swept Boston, but they were a little rusty because they had all that time off after <laughs> rolling through New Jersey. So that yeah. if the Caps are going to win, it's got to be Friday night. When, when you're catching Tampa, they haven't played since Sunday. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's not that much of a difference. The Caps played Monday, but I think the extra day does mean something. And, and, the, and the momentum means a lot. And the momentum means a lot, too. Tampa's expected to be here where the Caps – Yeah, I would say weren't, but – you can say that. Yeah, you can say they it, we everybody thought that Pittsburgh was going to beat them. Like right. again, it was going to be the same scenario. No, like this, this is year. definitely not expected unless you know you're just that optimistic about being a Caps fan, and you're that you know you know that this team is going to do well, and you just don't. I mean, they're not guaranteed to be here. I mean, I'm not saying they're lucky to be here because they're a good enough team to be here. But did I expect them to be? No. Yeah. Well, you guys are a little more on the negative side than I expected. Well, I'm, I'm not, not that's, that's, no, that's I'm, I'm more not, me. No, it's not, it's not a, <laughs> that's not a criticism. I'm just saying. No, I, I mean, she knows way more about Tampa Bay than I do. So I really don't have, you know, can't really refute their defense what he's is their weak point. they are point. the number one seed, right? Yeah, their defense would be their weak point. So they could make, but, but again, their goaltender is well, the best. Well, that's good, though, because yeah. that's the upside for the Caps because yep. they can score. Yep, yep. It's just a matter of you got to get bodies in front of that. Vasilevsky if you want to score. You need those redirect and you need to get those nice breakaways and convert on them like they did against Pittsburgh, which are few and far between, but if you get them, yeah. I just want to see how they come out mentally. I just, I really believe that getting over this hump, this 20-year hump, and then it being Pittsburgh that you do it against, that they just come out with a sense, they're just free. I think Ovi can just be free and get the weight off his back, and you might see a totally different team in the playoffs than you've seen. You haven't really seen that regular season caps in the playoffs where they're dominant. They're not going down, losing two games at home in each series. So you might see a totally different team, one that you're used to seeing during the regular season, show up, you know, at the perfect time in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's my hope. You know, and I'm thinking that might be their mentality going into it. What do you think, Dimitri? Since uh, when you say we're negative, no, what no, is your I, positive I, I was going to say, let's listen to my interview with Ben Raby. He okay. does the pre- and uh, post-game shows. Yeah. Tampa is a uh, very formidable opponent. They kind of remind me of some Capitals teams in the past in terms of a team that had a very good, dominant regular season, went through a little bit of a lull down the stretch. I think they were just in that mode where they were waiting for the playoffs to start. They had such a comfortable cushion in their division, but but unlike Capitals teams in the past, they were able to turn that switch on in the postseason. They had a very easy time in their first round. They beat New Jersey in five games, and they just eliminated a very good Boston Bruins team in five games. And one thing worth noting, they get a lot of headlines the Tampa Bay Lightning do for what they do offensively and a lot of the high-end talent they have that could score goals in bunches. What won them the series against Boston 
They did a very good job defensively, and they really contained Boston's top guys as far as their offensive ability. And uh, I think Tampa Bay's defense is sneaky good, and and the Capitals will get a first-hand look at that starting Friday. But when you beat a couple of teams in five games, whereas you see what battles the Capitals have had, you have to ask, maybe the Caps, although more beaten up, are more battle-tested, too, and Tampa Bay is a bit vulnerable. It's a glass-half-full way to look (laughs) at it. I would think a lot of teams would take the position the, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in having gotten through in just five games in each of their first two rounds. To your point, though, the Capitals, as far as the battle tested, it looks like Andre Burakovsky, who has missed most of the postseason with an upper body injury, is perhaps nearing a return, if not in game one, perhaps later in this series. And Nick Backstrom's status is still up in the air, but the Capitals will have Tom Wilson back for game one. So, to your point, they've played some more hockey, the Capitals have, than the Lightning, and it's shown up a little bit in the infirmary and on the sidelines. But now, as they do begin the conference final, Final, some signs that they will be getting some bodies back. I think a prediction that it goes six is not outrageous because most series do go six games. But you think unless you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> right? But let's just say six. I'm going to say Caps in six, just to throw it up in the air and see if you decide to bat the ball back to me, or maybe you're a little less optimistic. All right, for the differing of opinion, let's go Capitals in seven because Dimitri, they're in the postseason here, and somehow they've gotten to this point without going seven games. I think there's a rule if the Capitals are in the playoffs somewhere they need to go seven games. Isn't that a rule? Well, I think I've heard that. I think you wrote that rule. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> they have to go seven games. So let's take the Capitals in seven, winning on the road. That would be in Tampa Bay, game seven, with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. So there you go, guys. My prediction of six <laughs> games and Caps win. I'm a, Anything with a Caps win attached to the end of it, I'm all for it. I don't care how many <laughs> well, I'll just goes. add one thing. He mentioned that Tampa Bay was kind of faltering down the stretch and he's not wrong. I just they gave Vasilevsky a number of nights off and there was a reason this team traded Ben Bishop who was essentially in his prime a couple of years ago because he was waiting in the wings. So that just goes to show you how important Tampa Bay's goaltender is to this series. And sneaky good on the defense. He's a little bit more higher optimistic than I am with their defensive guys. Uh, guys like Strawman, he's really you know getting older there. But you know in hockey you could be a 40 year old uh, still just you know and being a leader and as Yager. right look at Mike he's Fisher of Carrie Underwood's uh, husband what he's like 40 years old for Nashville mm-hmm. and he's their captain and Yager's and older Portland. than him isn't he yeah but yeah is Yager Yager's he, well into his 40s yeah think he finally saw the end of his reign this year, Yager, but it was fun. It was a fun ride for a long time. I mean, he could have stopped a long time ago and just walked into the Hall of Fame. I don't know why he kept Cause, going into Because you have the rest of your life to be retired. That's why I never faulted Brett Favre. He just yeah. would annoy me because... Uh, Quality fact, of life, though. Well, well we know at, that now. Yeah, you got to look at... I mean, Earl Campbell, you know, could barely walk, you know, and he's having a hard time with his knees. You see what McMahon is going through, you know, CTE, you know, things that he's dealing with. Uh Mackey, tight end, Hall of Famer, who the tight who the Mackey Award is is named after. John Mackey can't remember something you did five minutes ago. Yes. So it's 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 one thing to be in the in the moment in the glory and play into your forties, but what does that mean afterwards when you get into your fifties, sixties, seventies, what is your quality of life going to be? You gotta think about it. that's why some of these guys, Chris Borland and Patrick Willis, who quit in their primes that's what they're thinking about, looking forward. What is the quality of my life going to be after I hang up these cleats? Yeah. 
You guys are previewing our uh, interview later. This uh, author, Play On, The New Science of Elite Performance at Any Age. He's not really addressing, Jamal, the 50s and 60s as right. much as how Serena Williams and who else? LeBron James, yeah. even though he's not an old man. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. too, too, and that's what she was, was, was talking girl, about. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah so, and that's what she was referring to. I didn't to. hate his outfit as much at the Met Gala as everybody else did. <laughs> well, I thought compared to whatever, <laughs> what else was out there, it was clearly understated. But still, still a little strange. No, he, uh, he's been doing gold, gold braiding or whatever. That since was. the Super Bowl, well, he's been kind of strange. He had it was the, a theme, and the theme was kind of uh, Catholic Church, yeah. whatever. That compared to some of the other things that was out there. If you saw any of it, Dimitri, you would say that was very tame. <laughs> well, not only that. Very tame. What did you guys think about uh, Tom Brady and saying that he isn't it just amazing sometimes in life that. No matter how much success you have, and you think that you have everything, and he was asked by Jim Gray, "Are you happy?" and he said, "I have my moments." It's like I, I, that was, that was, I took was taken back because Tom Brady's everything I would want to like well, be in a man but, and in an athlete. He's won see, the Super Bowls. He's he got beautiful wife. He's got kids. He's got the everything. But when you're great and you I, you, yep. you achieve greatness, that's how you get to that level. Just never, never. You, you are happy, never yeah. happy with where you are right now. That's why they keep getting to a different level and ascending to, you know, the greatest heights because they are never satisfied with, at where they are right now. So mm-hmm. he, he probably is truly not happy. Not to say that he's not happy with his life or not happy as a person, but that's you. When you say, yeah, I'm happy, then you're satisfied. You're, you get stagnant where you're at and you don't be, you're not able to ascend up to the, the heights that, He's been able to ascend to. So he could say, yeah, I won one Super Bowl. I'm happy. And that's it. He kept grinding on and on to get more and more championships. Jordan didn't stop at one. He got six. Mm-hmm. LeBron hasn't stopped. Kobe didn't stop. Even without Shaq, he said, well, okay, I won three with Shaq. I'm happy. Great players, great athletes, great people don't stop at one station to say they're happy or content. Because that's when you, to them, that's when they lose their edge. But that's they, they uh, have well they, they have to be constantly striving for something. Because if they say, I'm happy with this, right. in their minds, then they, that's it. But that can make for a very uh, stressful and maddening existence because no, nothing is enough. You know, you six well, Super Bowls, but ten Super Bowls. If, if you're that type of person, it takes yeah. a, a certain Way type of wired, yeah. Yeah, it takes a certain type of person. To think that way, right now, the, the, the average person that sounds crazy to them, but they, like you said, they're wired differently. People who get to those heights, they 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 are wired different than everybody else. That's why they're up there, and that's why they get to those places. Not to take anything away from anybody else. No, but, but even those of us who are you know our, a, our average jobs, yeah. we can we can apply those same exactly. kinds of things too. But, you but, know? but are, it's are you also, happy where you are or yeah. not? In that concept, yeah. But if you're talking about Michael Jordan and Kobe's and Brady's competitiveness is is unmatched. And even, you know, as they get older, they're still looking for a challenge. Yeah, he's probably not everybody miserable. looks for a challenge. He's probably still miserable that he lost that Super Bowl, I would imagine. <laughs> and that bothers that him. Yeah, probably that, that bothers him. Well. No, they, they, they like to go out on their own terms. Those it, those sorts of people that are wired that way. And believe me, yeah, that bothers the hell out of him. So right now, no, he's not happy because he's in off season. 
Well, luckily for him, he's in a division with still the horrible Dolphins, uh, <laughs> Bills who are going in the complete wrong direction, and the uh, New York Jets who I think are actually ascending, but just certainly are not there well, yet. They're going to send in that division. They're, they're yeah, not that's what that I'm, far. They're, 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 <laughs> well in, said, right? In I'm not even a huge fire of a division. I'm yeah. not even a huge Darnold guy, but man, that Josh Allen pick. I haven't been on here in a while, so I haven't been able to talk about this. Boy, what a stupid pick Buffalo had with Josh. He's he's was average at Wyoming. And yeah. you take him number seven because he's big and he has a big arm. You know who else is big as a big arm? Christian Hackenberg. How'd that work out for the Jets? Horribly. I don't these if you can't if that's all you got is a big arm and, and people say, Oh, you can't look at college. That doesn't translate to the NFL. Sometimes I can look at a guy in that's college true. and say he can lead a team down the field in two minutes and win the football game for him. I watched some Josh Allen tape. That's not what I got. That was a combine darling that the Bills said we can build a market. This guy and uh, so does, does he remind you? Does he give you a Jeff George Ryan Leaf sort of vibe? Ryan Leaf in the, in, the, in the fact that he just has a big arm and he was a a, a big kid. Yep. I uh, I don't know why they wouldn't have taken. Uh, Josh Rosen there. The, the questions about I still his, think him being too smart. Oh, yeah. That's a, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, mean, I, I wouldn't want my quarterback to be too smart. God forbid. They should have taken Lamar Jackson there. At least he'll give you the excitement. I think Lamar Jackson may end up being the best quarterback in the draft. And it took so long for anybody to pick him, right? I, I, I would agree because of the fact that you can go to Cleveland and, I mean, if their track record tells you anything, I don't care about new management or nothing. They can destroy a quarterback there in Cleveland. Manziel's sort of self-destructed, but Cleveland's a place you can go where things aren't going to work out for you. I know you love Baker Mayfield, but that, that wasn't a stretch for you, a one? Nah, there's no other quarterback I would have taken there. Uh, I would have taken, taken a quarterback. Ro- uh, I would have taken Barkley. Yeah, I like Tyrod Taylor, but not like if I'm really like going to really. Okay, but he's a bridge quarterback. You don't have to take somebody number one. They could take a guy at four. Yeah. If if you're taking somebody at number one, you don't necessarily. That's not your bridge quarterback. You take him number one overall. You think he's the best player in the draft? Then he needs to play right now. That's what you're saying to me by doing that. Yeah. But if you don't have that set up, then what's the take Barkley? You can get a quarterback at four. I'm of the belief that you can kind of, uh, as long as your offensive line's humming along, you can kind of make it work unless you're the Redskins. They don't have all. They don't Who's have... on the offensive line? They don't have an offensive line. Joe Thomas is gone. Yeah. So you you name me one other person I, I, on the O-line. Yeah, you're putting me on the hey, spot name me here. One yeah. player, George, name me one player on the Browns George offensive Wallace line. Is here. Not oh, named Joe Thomas. I just, I just walked in. I know. I, 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 I got to get you. you I don't know. Trial by fire, baby. I you got to get in. I, I, swim. I don't Let's know go. anybody on the Browns. <laughs> Can you guys explain why? Is Robert Griffin still on the Browns? No. <laughs> no, no, uh, he's up by 95. You can go say hello now. He's close. I've done, I've done enough of that. You can go, I'm can go say hey. Guy. So, George, uh, as our Skins beat reporter, sports director, and so much more, can you explain why Scott Campbell, one of the longest uh, serving members of the Skins front office, scouting, all of that is gone? I think it's more of a Kyle Smith thing, to be honest. I think it's, uh, you know, they're kind of kind of groom him to take over as the GM. You don't want to lose him like they did Sean McVay. I'm about to ask you, is this a ramification of the McVay? Yeah, you don't want to okay. lose him. And he's a Doug Williams kind of guy, or he is Doug Williams guy, Kyle. Uh, so I think that was pretty much it. But Scott's very well respected. I mean, he's a guy. He spoke to the media last year when McLuhan was fired as far at the pre-draft press conference. So they, I mean, he he's done a lot. He's been around for a while. He's been around. He's yeah. kind of mentored. Uh, he's been a, a behind the scenes for many years, and people so, people are just 
now knowing his name because, like you said, he spoke last yeah, year. Yeah, last year. You know, he's year. been on in the forefront. He's been a scout. But a lot of people, know, from what I've heard time. and seen and spoken with, say that they expect Kyle Smith to be a GM soon. Uh-huh. And the, you could, the Sean McVay of GM. And you could. and uh, yeah, That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah, I'll take it. So we'll see. Listen, yeah, in today's new analytics days of, of football, um, a lot of these young guys come in with like these backgrounds. That's what they had in Cleveland, too. Yeah. Sashi Brown sort yeah, of. Yeah, but a, I don't want to get down. The, let's, if you're going to use some analytics, fine. Let's not make that. This is not Billy Bean. This is not you know money. What is what he called it? I was, money ball. Money, money ball. ball. I, I, did, I was the, gonna get the it. The book right. was good. I the movie sucked. Off. The book was excellent. <laughs> but how do you not mention that uh, you had Miguel Tejada, who was an AL MVP in the whole entire movie of Moneyball, or Tim Hudson, or the Big Three? Oh, you're right. Yeah, they didn't have the Big I, Three in there. Right. I wonder if they so, thought it would be too complicated. Uh, yeah, but I mean, come on, yeah. have some historical accuracy a little bit. Sorry, that's my little tangent. Well, that's that's I, I never read the book. I just don't, saw don't, the book. Yeah, I didn't read don't the book. The, the movie. book was excellent. I didn't read the book. I saw the movie after I vaguely remembered. All right, so let's. Uh, but you know, you got to put keep. You know, you got to. How are you talking about the Browns guys. offensive line, by the way? We, we were. We, got, we were all. Baker subject, Mayfield. Well, Mac, you Baker know Mayfield. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's how we got to the Browns. I'm sorry, sorry folks. I just walked in. Well, yeah, no, you, you, can, <laughs> you can use some analytics, but, you know, please let the. Get football players. Let the, let the person. Let the football guys, you know, be in charge and let them have a little bit of that. If he's more a football guy with a sprinkle of analytics, that's fine. But Sashi Brown no longer has a job, correct? Yeah, he does not. Okay, so that's where analytics get you. Well, here's an undrafted guy I was reading up on that we were talking about earlier that looks like a football guy. 6'6", I, well, 260, Matt Flanagan from Pittsburgh. He Problem is, is I didn't see him blocker. doing it. Yeah, or, yeah, like, is that really he's like not, he's what not we a want, though? Well, well, look, you got to look at what they're trying to do. I know, special teams build out, well, stuff Well, like no, that. but also, you're trying to build the run game. Yeah. Name 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 an inline blocker that we have. Somebody that can really block at tight end. You don't have one. Uh, you yeah, don't know what Ver- Sprinkle does. Vernon is okay, but he's thirty five. Jordan Reed doesn't block anybody. But if you watch this kid, I just watched him today for the first time. He doesn't do much in the passing game. But if you put him in on rundowns or you put him in on a goal line, he's a nasty blocker. I mean, he follows you down the field. He will hit you for 20 yards down the field. So I, I did like what I saw from him. All right. that's uh, You got to check out. Uh, and George, you'll be up there, what, tomorrow? Uh, rookie cam is tomorrow, yes. Who, who do you want me to check out? I got a list. I got homework. Look, he's got homework. I got a me. list. <laughs> this is what I got right, for, be, did for I tell you about, I tell you about Martez Carter already, right? Yes. Yeah, five seven, two ten. Is this out of Grambling? So this is definitely a Doug Williams Doug pick. Doug kind of guy reminds me of Tariq Cohen that was drafted by uh, Chicago last year. I make that correlation because of the big playability, and they both went to HBCUs. Another pro to me is Darren Sproles because he is he's built low to the ground, solid, hard to bring down, breaks tackles. And when he gets in, he's got acceleration and, and home run ability. And if you watch his highlights, there's not a lot of game tape on this one. When I say game tape, I'm YouTube. I'm a you know at home GM or at home scout. <laughs> <laughs> Armchair. I don't I don't have all 22 in, in, in tapes of every game. I'm not Mike <laughs> Mayock up here. I do what I can. But yeah, he's he's. But you do a good job of it. He's though. someone you do to find watch. That you do I find, try. You do. Yeah. I try. No, I, 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 I will say he he does he. he him and uh, Semi Cobbs, who I thought should, there's two players they brought in that I thought should have been drafted, Semi Cobbs and Quinn Blanding. 
from uh, safety from Virginia. Okay. Three-time All-American, three-time All-ACC, and I think he's number one all-time in tackles. So he's a short tackling safety. Simi Cobbs is another big receiver. He's when you see him, you might see Doxon, but he's not as athletic. Mm-hmm. But same catch radius. He can get up and get the ball. Red zone target. That's what they need. And I've, I've seen that in a few of their, the guys that they've they brought in. They brought in a couple wide receivers. And there's another uh, Gerard Fernandez. Okay. Who looks to be Zach Brownish. Okay. And the fact that I, don't, I didn't see much from him in coverage, but he's on the ball quick on the run. He's a run stopper. Gets from east to west, got good pursuit. So those the, and Sean Welsh, since they didn't uh, kid from Iowa, okay, they got him listed as center, but he played a more right guard. So keep an eye on him also. Not nope. as nasty as Scherf, they say, but Scherf's big boy. Yeah, but he can he can pull. You know he he can hold his own. He has a problem with balance. He gets knocked on his ass a lot. Okay, and that's not where offensive linemen should be on no, the ground. No, that's not. To- <laughs> I got my homework to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm gonna. I like know, it. Then you can bring the feedback when I you will. come back next uh, week, and then great. share it with the people. Because you know more about them than I do, and I'm supposed to be going out there and watching these guys. Well, see, there you go. Now you have some ammunition know. to know what to look for. I appreciate for. that. See? Thank you. I got your back. I don't worry <laughs> I about it. You all right? On the line with us now is Jeff Berkovici. He is the author of Play On. He's also the San Francisco bureau chief for Inc. Writes a lot about tech. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So uh, maybe a good visual for everybody is the Gatorade or Powerade commercial. The athletes' muscles are rippling and beads of sweat are flying everywhere and they're jumping rope and lifting all these weights. That, that's the commercial. That makes a good commercial. It doesn't really make uh, a good example of what either Serena Williams or LeBron James or Tom Brady are doing. Their workouts are a lot more targeted, right? A, a lot more focused. Yeah, it's interesting because those, those sorts of images are a great way to sell, uh, to sell Gatorade or sell Nikes, but um, they run counter to what the real story has been in the world of, uh, of high-performance uh, sports in the last 15 years, which is uh, that um, this idea of, of bigger, faster, stronger, that that's the way, that's the way to win uh, is sort of on the way out. And now um, the, the, the revolution that's happened and the, one, and the thing that's really playing such a huge role in extending the careers of people like Serena Williams and, and Tiger Woods and Roger Federer uh, is is this new appreciation for freshness. I mean, what, what, what you often hear called freshness, um, recovery, the, the idea that nobody's performing their best if, if, they're, if they're carrying fatigue from either too many workouts or, or, or badly structured workouts. Doing less is better um, because, you know, because often it's, it's not necessarily just the level of, of strength or speed that causes an athlete to win, but, but it's more the ability to use all of the gifts that they already have. When you hear Tom Brady's in bed by nine every night, that's no joke. He gets his sleep. Yeah, uh, Brady, um, LeBron James, uh, Federer. I mean, they all. You, you hear these athletes now. They brag about how much about how they spend ten, twelve hours a night in bed during competition. There used to be, you know, this, if you talk to, to athletes from sort of the, the previous generation, um, something you hear a phrase you hear a lot is, uh, "Well, when everyone else is sleeping, I'm working." Now it's almost like the reverse of that. You know, they, they I mean these athletes are they're still just as driven as ever. They're they're still people, you know, to, to become world class in your sport, you have to be someone who can put twenty four hours a day of work into your job. But now they really see recovery, uh, you know, not just sleep but, but active recovery like cryotherapy or 
or some other, you know, foam rolling or some other newer techniques, they see that as part of their job and they're putting as much energy into it as they used to into kind of, you know, marathon weight sessions. How much do you think just plain old good old fashioned genetics and, you know, people's body makeup just naturally through their genes and, and through parents and, you know, strength of bones that you're just born with, how much do you think that plays into it? And people that have longer careers and playing to their 40s as opposed to people who, you know, have injury play careers and, you know, maybe are retired by the time they're, you know, 25, 26 years old. Genetics absolutely played a huge part in it. Um, we're only really starting to understand the role it plays because the, the science around um, the genetics of athletic longevity are are still pretty new. In fact, there's, there's, only, there's only one researcher out there who's really doing um, a lot of research connecting those two areas. Uh, his name's Stuart Kim. He's a professor at Stanford. And I talked to him for the book and, and actually had him um, uh, sent a, a DNA sample out and had him run it through his, his software to find out what sort of vulnerabilities that I have. I mean, the, the, main, the main thing that limits the, the length of athletic careers tends to be injury much more than anything else. So he's looking at... Um, at genetic susceptibility to, to sports injuries, you know, especially the ones that um, can be a limiting factor in the length of someone's careers. So the short answer to your question is um, that's absolutely a huge factor, um, but potentially it could become less of a factor over time as, as um, people like Stuart Kim are able to, to understand where their vulnerabilities are and warn athletes about what they're vulnerable for and help them change their training or other aspects of their program so that they don't run into those kind of um, hard limits on their careers. I think a lot of it, you know, you think about a lot of these guys that are that are getting it done now. And you know, I was just reading something about Kobe Bryant the other day talking about, you know, up at 4 a.m. and in the gym and then back and then up and then back in the gym at 9 a.m. and things like that. A lot, I mean, a lot of it is, do you see that these, these I don't know how to put it, like the newer generation of athletes just don't, they just don't want to put the work in. To, to be the best and to be great, you have to do it. And these guys always try to instill it on the younger guys. But I don't know if you, you – I've come across some of them seeing you just don't have the drive. They don't have the want to do it. That could connect to this conversation that's happening now um, at the other end of the age spectrum than the one that I looked at around youth sports and, um, and all of this really new fascinating research that's coming out, coming out saying suggesting that um, – the early specialization model that has really been dominant in American youth sports uh, for the last couple, you know, last at least the last generation, um, is actually not producing elite athletes the way that it's supposed to be. And it, if anything, it's having the reverse effect where it's causing a lot of people to burn out of their sports um, much younger than they should be, or else, um, you know, either either because of demotivation, like you're talking about. Or just because of, of injuries, you know, an epidemic of sports injuries happening to people in their, uh, you know, in their teenage years that used to you used to only see in, in people who were, you know, athletes who were uh, 25 and older. I, I think about this. I, I think about athletes in the 50s, 60s, 70s who smoked cigarettes and, and drank beer in the locker before room, the games. you know, before games and things like that. In between innings. Yeah, and, and had, <laughs> you know, had, had regular jobs in the offseason and didn't work out constantly. But, you know, we're still able to, you know, sustain a career. It's not so much a question of is what's the difference between, you know, maybe the, the, the two eras and now it's, it's all about organic and health and fitness and, you know, keeping your body together and sleeping in hyperbaric chambers and, you know, blood spinning and all this stuff where, you know, the hogs would go out after practice and 
drink a beer or two and go back out on the field. Yeah. I think you're onto something with that because I because again the the movement, you know, the, the big pendulum swing over the last 10 15 years has been towards this idea of balance in all things. If lifting weights um 18 hours a day made you better than everyone else. Someone like LeBron James would lift weights 18 hours a day. And that was the direction that we were headed in until um, people like Greg Popovich started saying, wait a minute, like we're, we're overkill. You know, this is overkill here. We're driving these people to the ground. We're making them, we're making them worse athletes than they could potentially be. Uh, We need to, we need to start getting back some of that balance that, that people like, Babe Ruth had, you know, that that allowed them to be great because they weren't they weren't showing up at games exhausted from, uh, from their workout regimen. Well, they might have been exhausted from being out all night, like Mickey Mantle. That's something totally different. Yeah, from bend, bending the elbow, right? <laughs> Jeff, as someone who had to have emergency surgery due to your uh, weekend warrior activities, you really loved to play soccer and did it a lot. Uh, you know, which sort of got you on this path of examining all this. What is your advice to all of us who say hit the softball field on weekends? My the, the biggest things, uh, and, and these are really these are really easy things. I mean, these are sort of low hanging fruit. I didn't. I I didn't have to go to uh, you know Olympic training camps to uh, to find out to find out these things, but um, the biggest ones would be uh, training specifically for your sport. I think a lot of people out there are are like are like I was and thought you know like I'll I'll go running you know I'll, I'll run a couple miles a couple times a week and that'll get me in shape for my sport. If you're doing something that places uh, high you know uh, uh, extreme forces on your body like. Um, like a, a game like soccer or downhill skiing or something like that, you need to be doing the kind of specific training that, that replicates that your forces, those forces, um, you, which usually comes down to, you know, weight training or uh, sprinting or whatever it is. But you know, the idea of um, just being in shape in a kind of generic way that prepares you to do anything, uh, that's, a real, that's a real minefield. Um, and the other one I would say that, that was huge for me is, is don't, play injured ever. I mean, that, that was the big thing. I used to play soccer and I would play with this guy who was probably 20 years older than me. And he wasn't, he wasn't any good, but he was there every single week. And I said, you know, how is this guy able to do it? And they said, you know, anytime he gets the tiniest injury, he, he waits it out until he's a hundred percent healthy again to play. So those are my two big, big takeaways. I mean, you can do that when you're not getting paid millions of dollars and, you know, teams have made an investment and depending on you, that's, you know, at the professional level and even, Collegiate for some, for you know, for some people, you know, if they want to continue to lift up their draft stock and you know, and, and put up numbers on the field, that's just not an option to be able to do that. But the Spurs well, were doing that, right? Yeah, the Spurs, the Spurs well, were doing it, but Pop was smart enough to do it in in increments. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm speaking more to the individual player that yeah. gets a, gets dinged up in the game and right. keeps it to themselves or, you know, gets hit too hard and won't report a concussion or anything like that because they feel they can't afford to come off the field, you know, for either money issues, there's another guy right behind him, and if he steps off the field and this guy gets on, I lose my job. So that a lot. Yeah, that – so that that's more than what I'm what I'm speaking to, as opposed to you know Pop is doing it uh, strategically to rest his players, which is great. Not great for the NBA. They don't think it's good for their bottom line, but that's all they're about is money. But you know more for the individual player, it's hard for them to you know get dinged up, and then you have this 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 thing where if you're an athlete, you play through it. You know what's the question? Are you injured or are you hurt? Right, right. You know so. 
that that's the mentality, and it's, it's hard to, to get through that, especially with that much on the line. Obviously, that's definitely uh, very true. I, I do think, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because um, now that there, there are these new uh, technologies that are, um, I mean, they're, they're really new in the last few years, but, but the claim behind them is that they can, they can measure athletes' movements in different ways, whether it's with, like, 3D motion capture or having them jump on force plates um, and, and study the, the patterns of their movement um, and be able to tell not only um, whether they will be injured in the future based on their movement patterns, but also whether they have any injuries that they are hiding from the team. I mean, that's, that's a really, you know, there's this place called P3, this clinic called P3 in uh, in Santa Barbara that works with pretty much all NBA teams. Um, and they, they told me, you know, the, the guy who runs the clinic was telling me, I'll have players come in and we'll put them on the, we'll put them on the force plate and have them jump and look at their data and say, Hey, you looks like you got something wrong with your knee. That's not on your medical report. And you'll say, yeah, I, I, it, it's true. I hurt my knee and I don't want anyone to know about it. Yeah. Wow. Technology. I mean, that's a real interesting question because then you get into the question of, uh, of you know, what's good for the teams versus what's good for the players. Right, and, uh, right, right. A lot of this data, the genetic stuff, too, it, it creates real questions around who owns that and, and who should be able to make money off it, you know, who, who gets to know about it at time of negoti- contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting issues here. Very. Jeff, thank you very much. Good to catch up with you and, uh, and hear about your book a little bit. You guys went in different directions and shed light on some really cool stuff, so thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate thank you, it. Jeff. Uh, thanks a lot. Great talking to you. All right. That's Jeff Berkovici. His book is Play On, The New Science of Elite Performance at NEH. That's interesting. That is interesting. It, it really yeah. is. You know, that's a huge issue in all sports, not even just professional sports. Yeah. I mean, on down to uh, Pop Warner these days because, you know, like he said, it gets specialized so early. You know, you don't really have the kids that, you know, I played damn near everything, you know, but when you get to a certain age, it's now it's like, okay. What direction am I going to go? Pick yeah. one. Yeah. Stick with it. We put you in, you know, you got specialized. You, you know, you got just a training facility right down uh, down the street in Tenley Town. You'll miss it if you walk past it. It was down on the bottom of one of those brown buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, they get the kids in there on the, the treadmill running, you know, 30 miles per hour like Ocho Cinco or something like that. <laughs> you know, so they, they have these things. And even my experience the last couple of years going to, you know, being a member of different gyms, you turn around, you used to just be, be grown men. Mm-hmm. You turn around, is 15, 16. Yeah. And it, me, myself, when I was there, my mother had me in the gym at, at nine years old. I didn't know if I was supposed to be there, right. but I was there. You know, it was 13, you know, I was around it. But that was not the norm then. This is the norm. norm yeah. You know, this is, this is what kids do. And it's not just kids that get involved casually, just be like, you know, if they haven't played. I tell my son that he hasn't played. And now he's in high school. So I was like, okay, you can get in here with these killers right. that's been doing this since they've been five, five years old. Six, seven, eight years, yeah. So, you know, you got to be, got to be careful. But I told you, I would never put you in a situation where you'll get hurt. Right, right. You know, if you're, if you're not ready, because like you said, these little dudes and girls, they're in this from, you know, five kindergarten oh, on yeah. up now. That's nuts. You know, and they're on traveling baseball teams. And Well, one thing we didn't get to with Jeff, he said as he did his research, he'd go to all these different exotic labs, and everybody would be like, yeah, LeBron was in here last week. LeBron wow. was asking about yeah. that. Like, of all those uh, elite players, LeBron James seems to be one to at least be willing to look yeah. into. Well, he has to. If you if you see what he has to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's dragged this team to the, another Eastern Conference Finals. 
you know, at his age, I don't has he missed any time this year? No, he played every game. Every single First game. First time in his career. That's pretty good. After all the after coming out of high school. Yeah. We talked about this, you that's know, the, the other he, week. He was, coming out of high school, that's a lot of years. That's yeah. a lot of mileage on you. So yeah, he should be doing that. On behalf of Jamal and George and the big chi, Chris Chi on the DMV Sports Roundtable is on Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, podcast one dot com, and WTOP's mobile app. Just tap listen. Let's go caps.